Take a seat. You can turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Appreciate Linda leading us today in worship. Thank you, team, choir, everybody. Appreciate y'all. Romans chapter 12. We begin a new series today called Renewal. Renewal. And this theme is really, or this series is really about the theme of 2023. And there's a lot of newness coming down the pipe. We got, specifically with leadership, we got new worship pastor coming. Youth pastor search team is meeting, starting to meet this week. And so we got new leadership. I, myself, am still new. I, I've not been fully through a winter with you. I have not been through a spring with you. Um, and yes, again, as I mentioned, I've even shaved, right? I mean, there's newness coming down the pipe. Um, but renewal can simply mean a lot of things. It can mean to repair, to repair something, to repair a wall, to repair a relationship, to repair a ministry or a group. It can mean to resume something after an interruption, an interruption like COVID, an interruption like sickness, an interruption like absence. It can mean to resume something after an interruption. It can mean to restore something, to restore a relationship, to restore a calling, to restore a ministry. It can mean to replace something. It can mean to renovate or even to rebuild. But it's this idea of taking what has been there or what is already there and bringing newness to it. A new attitude, a new perspective, a new position, a new approach a new goal, a new appearance, a new idea, a new group, a new way of looking at things, a new strategy. And so for some of us, still coming out of COVID and that interim time, right? This church has gone through interim and transition for the last couple of years. Uh, We're about to literally send off John, who's been our interim worship pastor for nearly two years. Um, And it's been longer since you've had a full-time, in-person worship pastor here. Um, You went two years without a senior pastor. Now we're without a youth pastor. But some of us are coming out of COVID in that interim time. For others of us, we're new to the congregation, the community of FBC Enid. For others of us, we've been here all along, faithfully here, and we just need a new season. We need renewal. And so this year, as you'll hear me talk a lot about, will be about renewal as we're going to introduce it in this series. And I'm really excited about this series for a couple of reasons. Because one, not only are we going to walk through Romans chapter 12, but we will also here in the coming weeks be offering a spiritual test, resource for you. That's going to be made available to each one of you. And it'll be an opportunity for you to take this test on your own, in your own time, and it will literally tell you what your spiritual gifts are. Because we're all different, and we all have different gifts, and this resource not only will tell you your top three spiritual gifts, but it will then tell you more information about those gifts. Like, okay, if this is my gift, then what does that mean? And it will also tell you ways in which you can use that gift in the community of the church. So I'm really excited about that. You're also going to be hearing from and seeing different ministries within and through FBC Enid that we are connected with, that you can begin to use that gift 
to serve that church or to serve our church, to serve that ministry, to serve our community, and to serve with the Great Commission. But first, I want to take you to Long Grove, Illinois. Long Grove, Illinois is less than an hour from Chicago. And Long Grove is a small, wealthy village with a small downtown that has still retained that small town historic charm, if you know what I'm talking about. And on the western end of this downtown is a historic bridge, and this is what it looks like. This bridge was built in 1906. And according to historians, this cover that you see over it was built in the early 1970s. And as you pull up to this famous bridge in Illinois, you will notice several warning signs that look like this, telling you how high it is, telling you that if you're a truck, turn left, don't keep going forward, telling you that if you're a bus, stop, turn left or right, don't keep going forward. These are warning signs, and they are all over the place. They are everywhere, warning, warning, warning. If you do not align with the bridge before you, don't keep going. Stop and change direction. These warning signs are put there so for you to heed the warning signs and to listen and obey. Yet despite the warning signs, the Lake County Sheriff's Office, they get constant nearly monthly reports of vehicles crashing into this bridge. For example, here's the picture of a bus crashing into this bridge. This happens all the time. And as you're looking at this picture and as you hear about these reports all the time, you're starting to ask yourself, how is that possible? How is that possible with all the signs, with all the warning signs, how is that damage possible? It's possible when people ignore the warning signs. It's possible when people ignore the warning signs. Well, Romans chapter 12, these first two verses, as we introduce this series on renewal, I want you to see with these first two verses that these, they function almost as a kind of warning. Warning, warning, warning. Listen and obey, or else everything that follows, there will be damage. And so Romans chapter 12, verse 1, this is what Paul writes. He says, therefore, I urge you, I'm pleading with you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So stop right there for a moment. Let's put all this into context first. Romans, this book that we're in, was Paul's letter to believers in Rome. And one commentator summarized it by saying this, that the entire book of Romans is like a theological exposition or argument centering in the problem of how sinful humanity us, can be put back in right relationship with a holy, righteous God. And come chapter 12, verse 1, what we just read, the argument, he says, is over. 
And those who have been made right by God are given a blueprint from verse 12:1 on for how we are to live or practice righteousness specifically within the community of the church. So really the book of Romans is about the righteousness of God, the holiness of God and the unrighteousness or the unholiness of man. And how and why Mankind can be justified, declared righteous, made right with God, by God, in and through Jesus. And one of those themes within this argument of Paul's is mercy. The mercy of God. In which God holds back that which you and I deserved. God holds back the judgment of sin deserved by us and instead pours it out onto Christ on the cross. Our sacrificial lamb who died once for all, for all, for all the sins of the world. Therefore, Paul says in verse 1, therefore in light of that mercy, in view of that mercy, because of that mercy. See here in chapter 12 verse 1, he now transitions and the whole of the previous book, the argument is serving as the foundation, as the motive for his present command, his warning. And again, it's addressed to those who are already in Christ, to believers, to Christians, to those who've been made right with God because of his mercy. This is my warning to you. This is my plea. This is my urge to you. That in light of God's mercy to wholly and completely offer yourself on the altar, Offer yourself. Literally make yourself fully, wholly, completely available to God. Don't be absent, be present. Don't draw away, but draw near. Don't conceal yourself, but reveal yourself to the Lord. Lay yourself on the altar as a living sacrifice. Literally, the word means to be available, to be present. We say things like lay it out all on the line or leave it all out on the field. What we mean by that is give yourself wholly. Give your body, soul, mind, and strength. Hold nothing back. Be utterly available to the Lord. This is what Paul is saying. Offer him your time. Offer him your resources. Offer him your job. Offer him your family. Offer him your relationships. Offer him your decisions. Offer him your dreams. Be utterly available to him in every space. Think of it like this. Most of you, if you don't do this, I maybe encourage you to do this. At night, you probably walk around the house or somebody in your home does this, and you lock the doors. This is what you do at night. You go around the house, you lock the doors, you make sure they're locked. Why? What are you doing? Well, what you're doing is you don't want to make yourself available to someone out there. You don't want your domain, your home, available to someone out there. What Paul is saying is that when it comes to God, his calling on your life, his plans for your life, his commands on your life, don't lock your doors. Don't try and keep God out. Don't lock him out of your heart out of your soul, out of your mind, out of your strength, out of your family, out of your work, out of your relationships. Don't lock him out of these things. Don't try and lock God out of the house. 
What Paul is saying is make the house, so to speak, completely open and available to him. Every space, every room, everything. You say, well, why should I do that? Because he's the owner of the house. You're not. When you and I entered into Christ, we were buried with him in baptism. We were united with him in death. You died. As Paul would say, it's now Christ who lives in us. He owns you. As Paul would say, I'm his doulos. I'm his slave now. He is the owner. He owns the house. See, Stephanie and I, we also lock our doors. Usually it's me, but we walk around at night and we make sure the doors are locked. But we're renters. And what's amazing about that, what's interesting about that, is that the owner of the house, even though we're locking the doors, has a key to the house. He has access. And we, as renters, temporary residents in his home, must make ourselves always available to him. As a matter of fact, this past week we had an inspection done at the house by the property managers who work for the owner. And I had to unlock everything. I had to allow the inspector complete and total access. I had to make the house completely available. Why? Because the house is his, not ours. I had to offer it to him. And us, freely and willingly allowing him access, offering him access, was our true and proper response to the owner. Sure, come on in. It's your house, it's all yours. What Paul is saying is make yourselves completely and wholly available to God. As Isaiah said, here am I. It's all yours. Nothing to hide, nothing to keep back from you. It's all yours. As Abraham said through his actions with Isaac, I'm all yours. So what Paul is saying is that in light of his mercy, of the fact that you belong to him, by the fact that you are owned by him, saved in him, saved by him, freely and willingly make yourselves wholly available to him. Quit hiding. Quit locking the door. Offer your time. Offer everything, because this is your proper response. This is our worship. This is the worship that he most desires, simply coming, especially together in song, in action, in word, in everything, saying together, here am I. You say, okay, but how do we actually do that? What does that actually look like practically? Paul goes on in verse 2, and he starts here. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing or the renewal of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, what we just read there in verse 2 is very similar to what Peter said in 1 Peter, but Peter elaborates on this a little bit more when he says this. He says, listen, as obedient children, do not conform 
to evil or to the evil desires or urges or cravings you had when you lived in ignorance, when you were no longer in Christ, or when you, before you were in Christ, before you belonged to Him. Don't conform to those evil desires. This word conform that Paul uses, that Peter uses, means simply this. Do not align your behaviors after the world. More specifically, don't align your behavior and your life after the desires of your flesh, which are in harmony with the age of this world. Like you once did when you were not belonging to Jesus. So think of it like this. Think of a a puzzle before you. Most all of us have done puzzles, and what we'll do with the kids when we do puzzles is we'll have the puzzle pieces before us, and we'll get the box out, and the box has the completed image of the puzzle. We'll set that right in front of us. And then what do we proceed to do? We proceed to take those puzzle pieces and conform them to the image on the box, to align it with the image on the box. Now imagine before you the puzzle pieces, but instead of one image, you have two images, two boxes before you with two completely different images in front of you. What Paul is saying is that at one point in time, and this is what Peter is saying too, is that you were taking those puzzle pieces, your life, and seeking to align them, to conform them to this image over here, which is the world. And it aligns and corresponds with and is in harmony with your flesh. But no longer. Now you're in Christ. Now you have entered into Christ. Now you're a new creation. Now it's no longer you who lives, it's Christ who lives in you and through his spirit. And so now the calling is, the plea is, the urge, the warning is, now this puzzle piece, now conform it to the image over here, who is Jesus, and who is in harmony with the spirit now living in you. Stop living like the world. Stop thinking like the world. Stop acting and reacting like the world. Stop spending your time like the world. Stop spending your resources like the world. You are different now. You are now called, and through the Spirit, to conform these puzzle pieces, your life, to the image of Jesus, not to the image of the world. Live like Christ in everything, because you belong to him. So your life should look different, and your life had better look different. Or think of it this way. Because we now belong to Jesus, we are in Christ, he in us, we in him. And because of that, Peter says in 1 Peter 2 that we are a holy priesthood. A holy priesthood. Now back in the day, the priest would wear these garments, these special garments. And the purpose of these garments were to set them apart, to, were to distinguish them from anything and anyone else. And the priests were to represent the moral character and image of God. It's kind of like a uniform, right? Think of two teams coming out of a locker room, one wearing a white uniform, the other wearing a red uniform. You look at the uniform, you say, okay, that distinguishes you from the other team. It distinguishes you from the fans. It lets us know that you represent that organization, The priestly garments distinguished them from everybody else, letting them know that they represented God and would represent his moral character and his image. You and I have received priestly garments. We are clothed with Christ, clothed with the Holy Spirit. 
We are his children now representing him and his kingdom. Therefore, we're no longer to conform our lives to the passions and cravings and yearnings that once ruled us. We're to take off the old and put on the new clothes. As obedient children, we're now to be holy as he's holy. We're to conform our lives to the character of God. We're to reflect the image of Jesus to one another and to the world. Think again of it like this. Those in Christ are like a mirror. When a mirror receives light, the mirror then produces a reflection of that light. So imagine you're walking down a hallway at a school or um, at a hospital or something. You're walking down this hallway, and up ahead, the hallway immediately does a 90-degree turn going right. And you approach that turn. And up in the corner, you see a mirror. And this mirror is reflecting the hallway that you're about to go down. Now, from your perspective, you can't see the hallway that you're about to go down because you're blind to it because it's around the corner. But you can see its reflection in the mirror. In Jesus, in a way, we, you and I become like mirrors. We are now to reflect the image of Jesus to the world and as, again, we'll see in the coming weeks, to each other. We cannot actually see Jesus, but we can and ought to see the reflection of Jesus in one another. That's why Paul said in Ephesians, for you once were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord, so live as children of light, as we saw in our Ephesians series. That's why Peter would later write, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. In other words, reflect my light, reflect my holiness. Or as Paul says here, thus do not conform to the pattern of this world. You say, okay, but really how do I do that? Well, Paul again, he expounds on it and he says, be transformed by the renewing or the renewal of your mind. Now these two words, transformation and renewal, are crucial. The word that Paul uses for transformation is where we get this word metamorphosis, right? This will take you back to your biology days, right? And studying metamorphosis, it quite literally means transformation, but specifically, it can mean, as it does here, the change of the form or nature of a thing or person into a completely different form or nature by natural or supernatural means, So think of metamorphosis when you think about a caterpillar transforming into a butterfly. Think of metamorphosis when you think about a tadpole transforming into a frog. In biology, this transformation, this metamorphosis, requires significant energy. In order to completely change the nature of something from one thing to another. But we know this energy not to be a thing, but a person who is acting in creation. Because this is what the psalmist told us in context mostly of biology. When you send your spirit, when you breathe, they are created. There comes new life. There comes regeneration. And you renew the face of the ground. In biology, God sends forth his breath, his spirit, and there comes regeneration, new life, and renewal. There comes metamorphosis, transformation. But it's true not just in biology, it's also true in soteriology. 
the idea or the doctrine of salvation. This is what Paul told Titus. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared in the person Jesus, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. There's that mercy word again. By the washing of regeneration. Literally that word, the root word, literally means to be born again. And renewal of who? The Holy Spirit. Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified, not by our works, but by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In soteriology, God sends forth his breath, his spirit. In and through Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit of God, and there comes new life, regeneration. There comes transformation. Quite literally, we become a new creation. Something born not of flesh, but born of God. We go from darkness to light, death to life, non-children of God to born-again children of God. But this transformation is ongoing. It's ongoing. And that's the emphasis here in Romans, is that it's ongoing. Just as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed. Even right now, as the Spirit is working in us, we are being transformed into the same image. The image of Christ. From one degree of glory to another. And this comes not from ourselves, but from the Lord who is the Spirit. So again, this transformation is an ongoing process of God taking us from caterpillar to butterfly. From tadpole to frog. From rebellious dead sinners to fully and complete image bearers of Jesus. Piece by piece, God is putting the puzzle together that it might be conformed to the image in this box over here, who is Jesus. And this is all the Spirit of God, that necessary energy, if you will, who produces and propels this transformation forward. So, knowing that God is working in us, this is Paul's point, we must make ourselves wholly available to him. Don't resist the transformation. By living like the world and shutting God out. But instead, freely and willingly allow him into the house, offering it all. This is your worship to him. He said, well, how do we do that? Well, we'll finish with this. By the renewal of our minds. By renewal. And the best way I know how to describe what Paul means here is through the illustration or the reminder of David and Bathsheba. You remember the story of David and Bathsheba, King David? It's springtime. David should be out at war, fulfilling his duty, but instead he's at home and he's bored. And he's walking around his house, enjoying the time, the the peace, the quiet, and all of a sudden, across the way, he sees Bathsheba. And the way the scriptures write it is that immediately he just looked upon her. He was set upon her. His entire 
heart, soul, mind, and strength was now glued to Bathsheba. It wasn't just he looked at her and looked away and kept going. He was fixated on her. He set his mind on her. It's the kind of image of of David taking his mind off of God and literally looking elsewhere, like Peter who was looking at Jesus and took his mind off of Jesus to fixate on the waves around him. It's like the contrast of Mary and Martha, right? Do you remember Martha has her mind focused on all the duties around her and the responsibilities, yet Mary over here is just sitting at the feet of Jesus, her mind on him. And so here is David clearly taking his heart, his mind, his soul, his strength off of God and now fixated on Bathsheba. And what comes after that? Damage. And a lot of it. Adultery, lies, cover-up, murder. Well, eventually, David was confronted by Nathan the prophet about what David did. The fact that he had taken his mind off of the Lord and now had focused it on Bathsheba and what followed. In response to that confrontation that brought conviction in David's heart, David wrote a song, Psalm 51. And I imagine he wrote it with tears and anguish in his very soul. And this is what he wrote. I don't have the words on the screen. Just listen. He said, have mercy. There's that mercy word again. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know, and he knows it personally, my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. And against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. And then here it is in verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew, renew a right spirit within me. Bring regeneration, bring renewal. Bring metamorphosis, bring renewal. Don't cast me away from your presence. Please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Then, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. So deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. My tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, just open my lips. My mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. This is all that God wants of us. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. 
part of renewal is confession. Part of renewal is repentance. Turning away. Part of renewal is a refocus of your mind off the things of the world and the things of Christ. It's taking your minds off the idols in which we are worshiping and focusing back again on Jesus. Part of renewal is our heart, soul, mind, and strength completely offered up to the Lord. Not just once, every single day. Constantly. Over and over. That's why the NIV translates this with an ING at the end. Renewing, because it's a constant thing. Setting our minds on God. Confessing sin. Knowing, as John would say, that he's faithful and just to forgive us those sins. But constantly before him. As a patient before the doctor. Here am I. Here am I. Forgive me. Correct me. Rebuke me. Renew my mind, renew my heart, my soul, my strength for you. Listen, in this world, and you see it especially coming into January of a new year, everybody's just chasing this, that, or the other. Goals, 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 that's all you hear about. But hearts and minds are far from God. And hardly no one knows or can discern the will of God generally and specifically. So what Paul is doing here is he's giving us a warning, warning, warning. Before we can talk about the image of what God wants for his church and our role in that image, we have to make ourselves available to him, wholly and completely. We must stop conforming to the world. We must instead be transformed, allowing the Spirit to work taking us from one degree of glory to another, making ourselves available in his words, in prayer, in service, in sacrifice. And we must be renewed every, every day. Then, Paul says, you will see, then you'll know, then you'll begin to live the will of God, which is good, which is pleasing and acceptable to you and which is actually right for you. But as we begin to live in community and family, there will be damage if we don't heed these warning signs. Offer yourself to him. Make yourself wholly available to him. Whatever it is he's calling you to do or not do. Stop conforming, be transformed, be renewed. And so, as I invite the team forward, with heads bowed, eyes closed, I want to call us into kind of a special prayer time, invitation time. And the special prayer is what Isaiah would say, but it's praying that this would be our disposition. Here am I. And let that be your prayer. Here am I. All of it. Every room. Every corner. Every hallway. Here's my house. Here's my life. Here's everything. Here am I. 
And with that, the prayer may be what David prayed, create in me a clean heart. Oh God, renew a right spirit within me because I have turned away from you. I have fixated my mind, my heart, my soul, my strength on the things of the world, on the desires of my flesh. As a result, there's a lot of damage in my life right now, a lot of damaged relationships, work environments, vision, personally, emotionally. There's a lot of damage. But, oh, Lord, just create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Bring me back to you. Renew my mind. Give me, Lord, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. But this is a new year. It's a new opportunity. It's a new time for renewal. But it starts with us Therefore, in light of his mercy, offering ourselves to him. That he might continue to bring about that transformation. That he might continue to bring about renewal. So make that your prayer, even as I pray. And if you want to come forward, even as I pray, or here in a moment during the invitation of these steps, you have something you just want to leave at the altar, you want to just pray, you want to pray with me, you have a decision to make, whatever that is, You can come forward even as I pray. Father, we come to you together. We come to you as individuals. We come to you as brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, I pray that our disposition is here am I. Here are we. That we are wholly offering ourselves as living sacrifices present and available before you holy and utterly exposed willing freely open to your work in our life Lord bring transformation continue to work that out help us to not be trying to resist that transformation but help us to allow you to move in our hearts and minds through the reading of your word through prayer, through sacrifice, through service, even through suffering, through gathering with your church. The Lord, bring transformation, bring renewal. Create in us clean hearts, a kind of regeneration that only comes by, in, and through your Holy Spirit. Bring renewal. Give us broken hearts and minds if that's what it takes. But let us just come before you to declare, here are we. In Christ's name that I pray. I'm going to ask that you stand with us during this time of invitation. You come.